Before I begin, and I did this at uh, the 9 a.m. service, um, I'd like to uh, put a couple people on the spot. And uh, if you are here, did you all enjoy our worship team, by the way, again? Just, uh, just great. They have absolutely no interest in hearing the sermon again, so no. Uh, no, joking, joking. Um, um, if you're here and you are a part of our setup ministry, I'd like you to stand and remain standing. If you're here and you are a part of our tech team, our sound, our video, would you stand and remain standing, please? Our worship ministry, if you're part of our worship ministry, please stand. Um, Our website, podcasts, website, podcasts, are you here if you serve on the site? And uh, for those of you who preach and teach, at New Community, uh, please stand. Please stand. Come on. No? Everybody knows I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, I asked these uh, brothers and sisters to stand, as I did, and there was a different group this morning at 9 a.m., and I want, I want basically to point out that there are so many people who who participate in the explicit communication of the gospel here at our church, who, who in direct and indirect ways um, preach and teach and communicate um, the message of truth, the message of the gospel. And so for those of you who are not standing, can you applaud these brothers and sisters who serve? Maybe seated. Thank you. Our current sermon series, entitled Church Without Walls, has um, taken us through uh, the first two chapters of Acts, and we are glad to say we have successfully arrived at Acts chapter 3 in our 10th week. Um, For those of you who are new and you haven't been here, I want to encourage you because there's no real way to uh, review nine weeks um, to stop uh, and listen to our podcasts uh, so that you can can get a sense of what we've been hearing, we've been studying uh, in the book of Acts. We've covered a lot of ground. And so uh, particularly for those of you who haven't been a part of these messages Listen to some of the podcasts so that you, you know where we've been. As I start today, I want to, to basically summarize the sermon series up to this point by pointing to two passages in Luke's own words in the book of Acts. I, I, again, I can't try to, to cover where we've been, but if I had to pull two verses from Acts, One of them would be Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
And the other would be chapter 2, verse 42. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is before he ascends. And uh, he's giving them instructions, telling them to wait on the promised Holy Spirit. And he says to them what has been a theme for us as we've studied the book of Acts. And he says that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we talked, um, really, that passage gives you a sense of all of the places we've been over the last few weeks, talking about what it means to be a missional church, what it means to be a witnessing community, what it means to be submitted to and empowered by the Spirit of God. And so that verse is a kind of summary in some ways for where we've been in the sermon series. And the second verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Talking about the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And we spent a lot of time talking about what it means for us as a church, as a new community, to be a praying people. To be a people who is committed to truth, committed to theological depth, learning and growing in our faith. And so that verse talks about those things. And it also talks about how we want to continue to develop relationships, to foster community in our church. And and so I want you to hold those two verses in mind as we come to Acts chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 3. And uh, if not, as we normally do, we have the text prepared for our slide uh, this morning. So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Will you read with me? Will you read with me, church? Read with me. Second verse. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Verse 8, he jumped to his feet. And began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God for us. 
I mean, as, we, as we get into Acts chapter 3, I want to remind you of something that Pastor Peter said last week and a couple of weeks before that. And that is when we come to the passages in Acts, when we see um, these scenes where the mighty works of God or the wonders of God are on display, when we, uh, when we hear of tongues, unlearned tongues being spoken and miracles being worked through the book of Acts, we are not seeing so much a prescription of what we should aspire to do. We're not seeing what we should try to get done as the people of God as much as we're seeing a description of the natural consequences of what happens when people are filled by the Holy Spirit. So we're not seeing what the church should be doing or should be trying to do, should be working to get done as much as we're seeing the activity of the Holy Spirit on display. So that when the Holy Spirit fills a church, when the Holy Spirit baptizes individuals, the Holy Spirit works miracles. The Holy Spirit grows and expands the church. The Holy Spirit fosters community through the church. And so when we come to Acts chapter 3, that is the case. We, we are not seeing something that the church should necessarily try to get done. As much as we're seeing the powerful work of the Spirit of God naturally happening because people have submitted themselves to the mission of the Holy Spirit. We live in the city of Chicago, and uh, I said this this morning, and um, I won't say everything I said this morning. I'll change some things, hopefully. But I will say this, that in the city... um, we, we, we know it's pretty common if you spent some time in Chicago to be approached if you're on the street by people asking you for money. Uh, is that true? Nod your head if it is. And um, I, I, I think that there are a couple of ways for, for you to respond when people on the street ask you for money. In this passage in Acts 3, um, essentially what is happening is there is a man, he's not technically on the street. He's on the steps of the church. He's at the beautiful gate and he's asking Peter and John for money. And so in the interest of of, of talking uh, to you all, because in some ways I'm talking to the city, you should really relate to this. If you walk the streets, the boulevards, or come off the L or the train, you know what it's like to He asked for money. And so there are a couple of ways to respond. And I want to put a couple of those ways up on there. Uh, One of the ways that you can respond, uh, and and let me back up to say, I'm not going to endorse um, a a response as much as I want to try to connect where Luke is in Acts 3 with what I think we may be in in the city here. Uh, The first thing you could do is give money without question. Uh, do you have any spare change? Here is my spare change. Can I have a dollar? Here is a dollar. You give money without question. A second way to respond is that uh, you can give money with conditions. And I have a friend who does this. Uh, he's a pastor in Las Vegas now, but when, well, I shouldn't say he does this. Uh, he used to do that. I don't know what he does now. But when we were growing up, we'd be on the street and he would be asked for money and he would do this. He'd say, you want money? He said, well, okay, you're asking me for money for food. I will give you this money for food. You cannot use it for any other purpose. If you use it for any other purpose, it will bring you no good. He kind of go into this whole 
you know, lecture thing. We knew he was going to be a preacher. He likes to, you know, kind of talk. And um, so, 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 so sometimes conditions are like, well, I will give you money if you tell me your name. Or I will give you money on the street if you let me hear a little bit about your background. Or if you let me share the gospel with you. I've seen it all kinds of ways. So you can give money with uh, conditions. A third thing you could do is you could simply ignore the person asking. That'd be pretty rude and inconsiderate. But a lot of people do it. You just kind of, I don't hear you. Uh, next, you could act like you're deaf. Um, and I actually should confess that I've done this. And uh, we, were, we were actually going out to dinner with the Swansons one, one day at Dixie Kitchen in the neighborhood. And uh, we're walking through the parking lot, going toward the restaurant. And if you know anything about Hyde Park, uh, we've got a good, good uh, chunk of homeless folks in the neighborhood. And so I walked through the parking lot with them. And there's this guy. And sometimes, you know, what, what, I, you know, what I've done, uh, and I should be ashamed of this, is I, I just kind of signed to him that I was deaf, that I didn't understand, you know, this kind of thing. And... <laughs> And, um, and I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, he started talking to me in sign language. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so he's thrilled that I can communicate with him because he's hearing impaired. He's hard of hearing. And we're talking. I'm trying to go to dinner, but he's asking. And you know what? He asked me for money in sign before it's over. So sometimes acting like you're deaf can... Uh, yeah. Uh, next, next here on the list is ask the person for money before they get to ask you. Uh, and I should say this one comes from my sister because I was with my sister when she did this. You know, we're on the street and she's like, you know, she's I was just about to ask you and just kind of cuts, cuts the person off. You can speak another language to express confusion uh, as if you don't speak the language you're being asked to give money in. And then uh, finally, you can give something else. Uh, like I said, I'm not offering these as suggestions. Um, and, but as we come close to this text, and you'll hear me say this, I don't think Acts chapter 3 is about uh, giving money on the street. I don't think that Acts is Luke's commentary on uh, what we should do as people who live in the city when someone asks us for money. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but I'm giving you this in some ways just to sort of bring you closer to Acts. And as we come to Acts, there are a couple of things that, that I want to point out. Now, when I, when I grew up... Uh, we grew up on the south side here in the city, and before we segregated the trains, we've got pink lines and red lines. We, we didn't really know about all the colors, um, at least on the south side, and we, we had the A and the B train, and it's now the red the red line. Um, and uh, when I would come downtown to see my mother at work or whatever, uh, between, between, between mm, Cermak uh, and, and Roosevelt, or between actually a 35th and Cermak, um, you'd be on the L, and folks would just kind of come in the L and, and start asking for money. Sometimes folks would sing, sometimes folks would dance and kind of pass the hat around. And, and they would go about asking uh, people on the train for money. Still doesn't happen as much. Um, but it still happens in many ways. And so we're coming to a passage where that is essentially happening to p- 
Peter and John. They are on their way to work. They're professional religious people. They're going to the church and the man outside of the church asks them for money. And I want you uh, to think about a couple of things as, as, as I talk to you today. The first thing is that giving, almsgiving or giving money is always seen in the New Testament as a good thing. It is a righteous or virtuous behavior. There, there is the, the, the only unique thing about giving generously, radically generously, is that Christians do it. So when Luke talks about generosity, he does it in very direct and explicit ways. I've listed a couple of passages in Luke 11, Luke 12, Acts 2, uh, Acts 9 and 10. I'm not going to go to those passages, but I've listed them here only to say that when Luke wants to talk about giving, when he wants to talk about selling your possessions and goods so that the people in the community can have their needs met, he hits it head on. And in this passage, he's not exactly doing that. But he does that throughout these passages. Generosity is a quality or a mark of the early church. The second thing that I want to point out is that in the Gospels, um, and Josh, we're not going to, why don't we just throw the scriptures up very briefly. I'm not going to read through these, but Luke 5, 17 through 26. Uh, let's flip uh, just to the other one, Josh. Luke 7, 11 and uh, 17 through, through, through 17, and Luke 9, um, verse 37 through 43. Those are passages. These are passages um, out of the gospel of Luke. And, and I want to point something out for you in the gospel, not just of Luke, but of Mark, the other gospel writers. Whenever Jesus is presented with a need, whenever Jesus has someone who's demon-possessed comes up, or when someone is dead and on their way from the village of Nain and they've got a coffin in the street or whenever there's someone who needs to be healed, there is no instance in the gospel where anyone asks Jesus for money. Jesus over and over again is approached, indeed confronted by people, asking, begging, pleading for deliverance, for salvation of some kind, for healing of some kind. And Jesus responds by blessing them, by healing them, by exorcising demons. And so when we come to Acts chapter 3, I think part of what we're seeing is that Peter and John don't have any money. Part of what we're seeing is they're broke. But another part of what we're seeing is that the apostles are simply due what they saw their exemplar, their savior, doing. They did not see Jesus giving out money. They did, on the other hand, see Jesus casting out devils. They didn't see Jesus looking for change or spare change or coins, but they did see Jesus healing and delivering and opening deaf ears and blind Eyes. And so what is happening here in Acts is since no one asked Jesus for money, I think what is at stake is the church's example. And my question, my question for you, church, as you think about this man asking the disciples for alms is when did people who were not a part of the church begin asking the church to do something other than what they saw, what we saw our Savior do? 
This man is asking for money. He is asking the apostles for something they never saw Jesus do. So when does the church get to the point where it's threatening its mission in order to do something that it never saw the Savior do? Peter probably comes to the temple this day remembering what it was like, what he heard, what he felt like when Jesus rebuked him for paying attention to human things, worldly things, and not paying enough attention to missional things. This is Peter and John. Peter, the one who Jesus said, feed my lambs, and had to tell him the message over and over again. This is John, who was the beloved. And I think these two apostles are standing here checking to see if they have anything to give this man. I think they're standing at this temple trying to see if they have anything to give this man. And they're coming up only with what they've seen their Savior do. I want you to think, have you seen, have you witnessed something from your Savior, something from Jesus? And I know that this does not connect with all of you because everybody here is not a follower of Jesus. But have you seen something in Jesus that may make Christ look better, more missional, more attractive than perhaps Christ's church sometimes looks or doesn't look? Do we threaten our mission when we try to do and be what Christ has never called us to do and to be? The third thing here in passing is that this man does not receive what he asks for exactly. He doesn't get what he asks the apostles for. And, 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 and you know what that looks like for us. This man is asking for money uh, in, in this passage. But for us, for us, have you ever prayed for something? Have you ever asked God for something and found out that you didn't get what you wanted? Have you ever asked God to open up a door that always or that stayed shut? Have you prayed for a relationship? Have you prayed for a job? Have you prayed for God to do something for you only to find that no matter how often you prayed, no matter how often you asked for it, you didn't get it? Can I suggest to you that like this this guy, this man whose name we do not know, That there are times that God does not answer our prayers because our prayers are too small. Say the word small. Sometimes God does not answer your prayer. Sometimes God does not answer my prayer because the prayer itself is too small. You know how this connects with you, how this might look in some of your lives. Some of you are students and and you live in a dorm. You live in a residence hall and you're a committed believer. You're a follower of Jesus Christ and you love Jesus and you want to see other people love Jesus. And you're praying for your roommate. You're praying 
for your RA. You're praying for your professor to come and receive Christ. You're praying. And can I say to you that your prayer may be too small? Say the word. Say small. What's wrong with praying that God saved the entire floor, the entire class? I wonder if some of the things that you pray for, some of the things that I pray for, are too small. This brother asks for money, and he could use the money. He could. But I don't think he needed them. I think he could use money, but I think there was something greater that he needed. And I think that when God answers our prayers, he does not answer our prayers so much so about what we could use as much as God answers our prayers for what we need. And I want to submit to you today that this man needed what God gave him and what God granted was healing. Say the word healing. A lot of things can be said about healing. A lot of things can be said about what it means for God to heal. And in this man's in this man's story, in this account, healing, healing uh, looks like him being raised up from being paralyzed or lame. And and I want to tell you just four sort of connecting points or applications because I think that God healing this man translates to us in certain ways. And and the first way I want you to think about healing because you may not be lame. You may not need God to heal your legs, but I want you to think through the prayers that you have prayed, the things that you've asked God to do. God, would you change this area in my life? Would you change my physical condition concerning this area? This man asked for something. God gave him healing. And one of the ways that healing changes uh, this man and I think us to some extent is it, it, it expands our faith. It grows our belief, our trust in God. This healing. takes place after this man has been lame all of his life. And I want to hear from some of you because because some of you hear this passage and it's hard for you because Because it's easy for us to jump to verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 when the man is lifted up, when he's healed, and he's leaping, and he's jumping. But some of you are struggling in your faith today because you're in verses 1 and 2 and 3, and you're stuck at the gate beautiful, emotionally, physically. Talk to me, church. When I say to you that this passage can expand our faith, this passage about healing, what are you you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you sensing? 
Do you believe it? Sometimes all you can mm -hmm. cling to God. Anyone else? So looking for the difference between reality and what's, what's possible and looking for the quick fix. Anyone else? Decide, some people decide to stay crippled. I didn't catch the last thing. Mm -hmm. For the attention. Oh, okay. Mm. Sometimes what's the safety zone? Your infirmity is a safety zone. Yes. A question. I'm used to questions. Mm. How do we become... if? If God gives us what we need rather than what we want, how do we become a people who asks for, did you say ask for what we need? How do we become a people who rather than asking God for what we want, maybe for the quick fix, maybe for the brief solution, how do we become a people who asks for what it is that we need. You want my answer or you want the church's answer? Because I can kind of open. Anybody have an answer for that? Tina? Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Yes, Julia. So I hear patience, I hear waiting, I hear perspective. One more person. Yeah. The want is smaller than God's ability. So here's the question. If God has the power to raise Christ from the dead, what can't God do for us? 
Remember that the church is no longer waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead. They're responding to the resurrection. Jesus gets up from the grave and they're preaching and they're talking. And and, and the question is, the question is, if God can do that, anything's possible. If God can raise Jesus, my infirmity is possible. If God can raise the Savior, can God not change my circumstance? Let's look at Isaiah. Josh, let's go to the Isaiah 35 passage because I think in some ways at least the first part of this passage will connect with some of you. This text says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Now the reality is for some of us, when, when we talk about the wilderness rejoicing, the parched land being glad, the reality is some of you will receive what this man received. You will, be, you will be healed. You will get a miracle and your circumstances will change no matter what you ask God for because God will return a blessing to you that's larger than what you wanted or what you thought you needed. Some of you will experience the desert and the parched land being converted so much so that water changes the parched land into an oasis. Some of you will receive a miracle like this man in Acts 3. But there are those of us who might be here, and when we come to this this prophetic uh, text in Isaiah, the desert and the parched land being glad, your circumstance may not change. And if the land is going to be parched, and if the land will bring any gladness, if the wilderness will rejoice, it will be the wilderness or the desert that rejoices. Notice that there's nothing that says the desert changes into an oasis. So the context doesn't change. What happens? For some of you, God will change you and not your desert. God will change your heart and not the parched land. So much so that what will happen is you'll see yourself praying differently because the surroundings don't change. I've been praying for the same marriage to come. The marriage hasn't come. Maybe I should pray for something else. God, why do I keep praying for the marriage to come? I've been praying for the job, and I haven't gotten the job yet, and all I'm praying about is the job. Maybe that small thing is there, and perhaps the desert and the parched land yields to a spring coming up in you. So that as this text says, strengthen what will happen when this Messiah comes. Feeble hands will be strengthened, steady the knees that will give way. Verse 4, let's go to the other slide here. Josh, the next one. Verse 4, 35 and 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap Like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Healing can cause our faith to stretch. But some of us won't be healed in the sense that 
this man has been healed as much as God will change the circumstances of your heart before he'll change the circumstances outside of your heart. And, and the other point that, that I want to sort of pass through as we talk about healing, uh, the other two, is that healing in this man's life is not just him getting up from being lame. If that were all healing meant, it would have no application for you. It would have no meaning for me. What happens in this man being healed is that God is addressing, God is reversing, God is renewing everything that has happened in this man's life since his birth. And so can I tell you that whatever has plagued you, whatever you have struggled with, whatever you have fallen prey to, that God is able, be it a condition in your body, be it something that you've struggled with in your mind or your heart, that God has has the ability to renew everything about your life since you were born. Not just the sin that you committed the other day, but the sin committed against you years ago. God has power, uh, the, the, the same power that took a dead corpse and raised Jesus to raise us. Some of you are here and you need to hear that Jesus died so that you could be healed. And and healing means a lot of things. And I don't know what it means for you as you listen to me. But can I tell you in no uncertain terms that God has the ability to heal you. That God can heal you. That Jesus died to heal you. Isaiah in the 53rd chapter has this beautiful passage about the servant who suffers. And he talks about how Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, for everything that stopped us from relating well to God. That Jesus was was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, he says, of our peace was upon him. What you need from God to have wholeness and peace and contentment in life doesn't come from from your job or the affirmation you get from your spouse. It comes from a servant who suffers, who went to the cross so that you would not have to get up every day thinking, if I do this, I'll win somebody's approval. If I do that, I'll be an okay person. Jesus comes and says, I died and rose again so you could be healed. This passage talks about the consequences of God's work. And, 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 and in a very direct and real way, the consequences of God's working through, through the words of Peter, through the contact of Peter and John in this, they are channels for healing. God is working. And, 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 and part of this passage is about God working. But the other part of this passage is not about what God does as much as it is about what we do. Say we, say we, say we. God heals, and what does this man do? What does this man's activity teach us in the church? Well, God heals, and this man turns loose. He begins to worship. He begins to respond to God based upon what God did for him. 
His response is physical. His response is noisy. His response is joy-filled. He is responding in praise. And, and, and I want you to notice a couple of things that Peter and John are going together. They've come back from doing ministry. They've come back from serving. Even in this text, they are providing healing, but they're on their way to worship. They're not just doing mission. They're coming for worship. They're not just going and pursuing justice. They're not just going and trying to right wrongs. They're coming to church to be reminded of the beauty of God and God's character. They're coming and they're not alone. Peter and John are coming together and they pick up this brother who God has healed and they walk with him, they jump with him into this, into this church service. And can I suggest to you that Luke is telling us something about how our worship should look. He's telling us something about who should be involved in our worship. And there, 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 there is no reason why the prayer service should exclude people who have been saved, healed by God. I think about this man, and as I was trying to see him in my mind's eye coming into this temple, it occurred to me that this man comes in jumping and leaping and joyous, and, and, and I wonder if the church was ready for him. I wonder if we would be ready for this man if, if he came into new community or whether we would raise eyebrows and, and, or whether we would kind of get a little concerned or we would get a little nervous because of the jumping and the you know, lifting of the hands and the clapping and the loudness and so forth. Uh, but this man, this man here, this man here is coming in to the church and either the church is completely quiet and thrown off by him in which case his presence is a contribution to a witnessing community that may have forgotten what it feels like to be delivered or healed. Maybe he needed to come into a quiet sanctuary where people forgot what it felt like when God lifted them up so that his presence is a reminder that God still saves, that God's arm is still strong enough to reach broken people. Can I tell you that God's arms are strong enough to save? And I think this man's presence in this text shows us that. If the church is too quiet, he gives a contribution of physical, enjoyable praise. But on the other hand, if the church is full of folks who are joy-filled, who are excited, whose hands are lifted or who's praying in whatever way, and they're excited and they're praising God, then the man fits right in. And there's no reason why. He shouldn't be in this prayer time. He shows, reminds us in his praise and in his worship that when the Messiah comes, when, when the word about Christ's power comes, the only fitting response is worship. 
when the Messiah comes, God works. In his life, it was healing. In your life, it may be salvation. It may be redemption. It may be healing. But that's God's work. Friends, what, what, what is your part? What worship will you give to God? Maybe after you come back from being missional and living on fire and trying to share healing or be an agent of healing for somebody, when you come back and you have faced all week long God raising up people in your life, God God changing family members' lives, or God blessing people who you work with through you, when you come back from teaching in your school or when you come back from practicing uh, in your counseling practice or from, from physically healing people at your clinic or your hospital, when you come back, will you be reminded that God has the power not just to heal them, but to heal you? And how will you respond? Will you respond with joy? Will you respond with thanksgiving?